All right. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Glad to be here today. All right. Me too. We are in our series, Winners and Losers. We're looking at kings in the Old Testament, uh, is, uh, kings of Israel. Some were winners. Some were definitely losers. And we're going to be learning a lesson from each one of them. So get your Bible out and open up to 1 Kings uh, chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12 is where we're going to be uh, today. You know, today is June the 23rd, and on this day in history, in 1865, the last Confederate army surrendered to Union uh, forces, uh, effectively bringing to the close a very bloody civil war in America. In fact, uh, the Civil War is a, a very dark time in our nation's history and yet gave light to one of the greatest leaders that we've ever had, and that is namely Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln uh, effectively pulled the nation together and held it together. If it wasn't for Lincoln, we would not be the United States that we are uh, today. And uh, Lincoln had his work cut out for him. When he was inaugurated, there were already multiple states that had seceded from the Union, and, and it seemed that war was inevitable. And of course, war did come. But Lincoln was able to preserve our nation and keep us together. And uh, it wasn't because he was all that, if I could put it that way. He, uh, you know, he wasn't really that particularly charismatic a leader. Uh, he certainly wasn't a polished politician. He was, um, he was inexperienced in many ways. He was smart, but not just off the charts brilliant. But he had some character qualities that made him unique. And one of those qualities was that he was humble. He was a humble leader that really wasn't looking out for his own interests, but more the interest of the country. Lincoln was very quick, people that were close to him said, very quick to uh, admit his faults, to uh, own up to his inexperience and his weaknesses. He was also uh, never one to seek the limelight. He would even promote those that were adversaries of him and put them in uh, high powers of uh, uh, positions of power. He would uh, often share the credit with those that certainly it was due and even look the other way when many people attacked him personally. Uh, he was a very humble guy. In fact, one person said that Lincoln never let his ego get in the way of what was best for the country. Um, in fact, Lincoln talked about this humility in a quote. He said, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Now, today we're going to look at another leader, another leader that was uh, coming into leadership right at a point when the country looked like it was going to split, the country was going to divide. Except this leader, unlike Lincoln, made choices that led not to unity and to peace, but to division and to war. This one leader had a faulty character quality that really caused everything to unravel around him. Now you're saying, Craig, why are we studying this? I mean, I know we're going through this Winners and Losers series, but how does this apply to me? It applies to us in a great way because there's this one character flaw that caused everything to unravel. And guess what? You and I have that same character flaw. And it causes marriages to unravel. It causes relationships to unravel. It causes 
uh, business dealings to unravel. It, it can cause everything around you to spin out of control. I'm going to tell you what it is and what we need to do to fix it. But we see it very clearly in this story. So once you look at your Bible, uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. If you're with me, say amen. amen. All right, this is the word of God. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard about it, he stayed in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon's presence. Jeroboam stayed in Egypt, but they summoned him. And Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam. Your father made our yoke harsh. You therefore lighten your father's harsh service and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. And Rehoboam replied, go away for three days and then return to me. So the people left. Now, let me, let me just catch you up on what's happening so far in the story. We're kind of picking it up in the middle of, of the story. Uh, king David was really the, the one that fortified the country. You know, the King David was probably the greatest king ever in Israel's history. They say he presided over the golden years. His son Solomon expanded the kingdom and grew it in wealth and influence. But they said under Solomon, the golden years of Israel began to tarnish. And after that, it turned to rust. When Solomon was king, he did great for the nation as far as growing it. And yet his heart became wayward from God. We saw this last week. His heart was lured away to idols and to, to uh, women from other countries that would lead other gods uh, into the nation. And so because of this, and God warning him multiple times not to do this, God told Solomon he was going to remove the nation from him. Now, Solomon had not only idolatry and, all, and intermarry, intermarrying with other uh, countries and so on, which was egregious to God, but he also did one other thing that was very bad, and that was he installed the corvée. The corvée is another name for slave labor. And in order to build his palace, in order to build the temple, in order to build the, the wall around Jerusalem and expand it, he actually enslaved some of his own people. And, and put them under forced, hard labor. And, and so Solomon, this was wicked in, in the eyes of God and, and also to the people. Now Solomon had one uh, leader under him. His name was Jeroboam. Jerry, all right? Jerry was under uh, Solomon, all right? And he, uh, he was a, I, I envision him as being kind of this gritty a leader, proven, tested, uh, no-nonsense kind of guy that was able to lead a lot of people. And he had risen up under Solomon's uh, uh, regime, you know, under Solomon's leadership. But when God told Solomon, I'm taking the nation away from you, roughly about the same time, God sent a prophet to Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was out in the field, and uh, this prophet from Shiloh comes to him, and he's wearing this beautiful garment. And as he talked with Jeroboam, he took the garment off and began to rip it into 12 pieces. Now, how many tribes of Israel are there? 12 tribes, right? So he's ripping it into 12 pieces. Then he gives 10 of those pieces to Jeroboam. And he said, Jeroboam, the Lord has taken the kingdom away from Solomon's line and is giving it to you. You're going to rule over 10 of the of the tribes. However, two of the tribes are going to stay back with Solomon's son. 
Well, evidently Solomon got word of this and Jeroboam ran for his life, ran to Egypt and stayed there until Solomon died. But in this story we just picked up, Solomon is dead. And Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. Okay, now Jeroboam and Rehoboam are not related. They're not twins, all right? <laughs> just, just clear that up. Uh, Rehoboam is a son of Solomon. All right, you tracking with me? If so, say amen. amen. All right, so uh, we're, we're, Jer- Rehoboam is a son of Solomon, and he is a rightful heir. He's a rightful king. Uh, I picture him as kind of this uh, young, uh, entitled, spoiled prince that probably never led a thing in his whole life, but couldn't wait. He probably partied with all of his dad's parties and enjoyed all his dad's benefits and couldn't wait to be king, but didn't have the stuff that kings are made of. And so he goes to Shechem to be be crowned king, right? He is the new king. He's He's the king, the rightful heir. And so he goes there, but about that time, here comes Jeroboam from Egypt with all of his men, and they come riding into town, and there is a face off. The gritty, older leader, Jeroboam, that's already been prophesied to be a ruler of 10 tribes, and then here's the rightful heir, Rehoboam, and they face off, and Jeroboam basically speaks for the men, and this is what he says. Your father put this harsh treatment and forced labor on our people. Remember, the corvée. He said, but if you will relent from that, then we will serve you. If you will back off from that, we will serve you. So what do you say? Rehoboam, what are you going to do? What kind of man are you? What kind of leader are you? So Rehoboam decides he's going to phone a friend, and he takes three days to think about it, right? And so this is what he does in the next three days. So let's just look at it. We're just letting the story unfold. Look at verse 6. Then King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon when he was alive, asking, how do you advise me to respond to this people? And they replied, today... If you will be a servant to this people and serve them, and if you respond to them by speaking kind words to them, they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice of the elders who had advised him and consulted with the young men who had grown up with him and attended him. And he asked them, what message do you advise that we send back to this people who said, lighten the yoke your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him told him, this is what you should say to the people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. This is what you should tell them. My little finger is thicker than your father's, my father's waist. Although my father burned you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with barbed whips, all right? Now, you get what's happening here. He goes and talks to the the old men, the counselors, the wise men. He says, what should I say? And they said, look, here's what you need to say. You need to say, I am a servant. As a king, I serve the people. And I'm willing to serve and to care for the needs of the people. And we can talk this out. We can negotiate to terms and we can work together. I can bring unity to this nation. He said, ah, I don't want to do that. 
He goes to his frat buddies that he's been hanging out with and partying with, you know, for years. He's like, man, what should I do, man? I, this is my key. He said, you know what? You need to let them know who they're dealing with. You need to assert your power. You need to let them know what kind of leader you are. You say, you know what? My little pinky is thicker than my father's waist. You thought he was bad. I am your worst nightmare. He, got, he put whips on your back. I'm going to put barbed wire on your back. He said, you, you, my, my, Solomon was cupcake compared to me, all right? That's the kind of leader, you don't have any idea what you're dealing with. He thought, that sounds awesome. Who doesn't want to give that speech, right? So he, three days later, they all come back together, and he gives the speech that he's been practicing from the young men's advice. And what happened? How did the people respond? Well, look at verse 16. Run down to verse 16. And when all Israel saw that the king had not listened to them, the people answered him, what portion do we have in David? In other words, uh, what, 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 do we have, what loyalty do we have to the line of David? We don't have any loyalty then. Uh, we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. That was David's father. Israel, return to your tents. David, now look after your own house. So Israel went to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the Israelites living in the cities of Judah. And let me tell you what, just uh, in, a, in a moment, the beautiful garment of the kingdom of Israel that flourished under Solomon was ripped apart. All because one man would not humble himself. One man would not serve another. One man exerted his authority and his right and his power. And because of that, everything began to unravel. Listen, when I hear the name Rehoboam, there is a lesson that we learn from him. And this is it. Three words. Honor follows humility. That's it. This is a lesson of Rehoboam. Honor follows humility. He had this opportunity to humble himself and to, and to serve and, and to uh, be a unifier. And instead, he chose not to do that. He chose to say, it's my way or the highway. I'm going to be the one that's going to do it right. I don't have anybody to answer to. And because of that, everything unraveled. Honor follows humility. Honor follows humility. In fact, this is seen all the way through the Bible. In Proverbs chapter 18. Verse 12, it says, before his downfall, a person's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. You see that? And when I'm humbled, then I'm honored. Honor follows humility. Same thing is found in the New Testament. Matthew 23, verse 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. What is, what is he saying? He's saying honor follows humility. When you humble yourself, when you say, I'm here to serve others, I don't have to have my own way. We can work this out. I've made a mistake. I'm willing to confess that. Let's get together. That creates unity and peace. But when you say, I'm not going to confess to nothing. I'm going to do my own way. I'm going to have it my way. I'm the one that has this spot and you can't. And that kind of dug in my way, heavy handedness, um, that just causes division. It causes it in a marriage when you go, I'm not going to apologize for that. It was their fault, not my fault. I'm not going to say I'm sorry for that. 
They just need to get their act together. They understand this is how a way to, that creates division in a marriage. It creates division in friendships, in a company, uh, in every, any organization. Why? Because honor follows humility. And Rehoboam did not understand that. His self-absorption led to the unraveling of the nation, the dividing of a nation. And by the way, when everything unravels, people get hurt. People get hurt. From that day forward, Israel was a divided kingdom. You had Jeroboam in the north. Jeroboam ruled over the ten tribes to the north. And Rehoboam ruled over the two tribes to the south. Jeroboam's uh, kingdom became known as the kingdom of Israel, where the southern kingdom became the kingdom of Judah. And these became completely two different worlds. It's almost like they were right there next to each other and they were on different planets because they were completely different places. For example, let me just kind of illustrate this so that you can get this in your mind and you'll never forget it, all right? Uh, from this section over to this way, I want you to stand up, okay? So just stand up. This section all the way over, just stand up. Welcome to the kingdom of Israel. You are now under the rule of Jeroboam, all right? So you're in Jerry's world, all right? <laughs> All right, so let me, let me explain to you what it's like living in Israel. Uh, you do not have the temple. So you grew up, maybe grew up going to the temple, worshiping, sacrificing at the temple. That is no more. You will never go to the temple again. Not only will you not go to the temple, your children will not go to the temple. Your grandchildren will not go to the temple. You don't have the scriptures. You don't ever have the word of God being read over you or declared to you. In fact, what you have in its place are centers of idol worship. Jeroboam set up a center in Bethel and then way up in the north in the Dan. And by the way, some of those pagan altars still remain today that you can visit them. Centers where they worship the golden calves and they worship Baal and they worshiped all kinds of perverted sexual gods. This is the dark spiritual climate that you're living in and you're raising a family in. Add to that, there's a lot of political chaos going on. In the 200 years that you existed as a country, as a nation, you had 20 kings. And of those 20 kings, every single one of them was a godless wicked king, every one of them. And all those 20 kings came from nine different houses or nine different families, all fighting and vying for power to try to grapple with that. So you have political chaos and political corruption. Uh, kings like King Ahab and his wife Jezebel were the kinds of people that you suffered under. We're going to learn about them later. So you live in a very dark, a very spiritually dark, a very oppressed environment under Jeroboam in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now I want you to sit down. Now over here, 
you are the two tribes, okay? The two tribes uh, under Rehoboam in the south. So once you stand up, let me tell you a little bit about uh, these two. Now I want you to see the visual of the percentage here. You are in the southern, southern kingdom under Rehoboam. Now under Rehoboam, you're not only, you're gonna exist 350 years to their 200 years. So you got an extra 150 years to exist, all right? That's good, that deserves a cheer. Uh, not only that, that, there's some good things for you. you. You have the temple, so you get to worship in the temple. You get to take your family to the temple. You have the scriptures. You have the word of God. So you have been able to continue the traditions and to worship God. Out, out of the 350 years, you had 20 kings as well, but you had a lot of good kings had kings like King Asa and Jehoshaphat and Josiah, and you experience actually some revivals, some spiritual revivals during your time as a small country, a small nation. But you also had some difficulty. You had some bad kings, especially toward the end, that led the kingdom astray. So you may be seated. So both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom both of these kingdoms fell. The northern kingdom fell in 722 BC to the Assyrians that came swooping down and literally decimated the northern kingdom of Israel and uh, just left, uh, left it a, a shadow of what it once was. The northern tribes never surface again in human history. The southern kingdom fell in 586 BC to the Babylonians and they were hauled off to Babylon. And just like that, both kingdoms disappeared. It was a season of darkness. No kingdom, no Israel, no nation. And the hearts of the people, even in exile, began to cry out for a king. A king who would come and lead righteously. A king who would come and lead in justice. A king that would be a legitimate king from David's line, just as God had promised. A king that would reign forever. And they began to write about this coming king prophets, though the nations did not officially exist. They began to write and prophesy about these coming king, this coming king that would take every wrong and make it right again. Isaiah wrote these words. He said, then a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. In other words, he said, it's almost like the tree of, of Jesse that was King David's father. The tree has been cut down, cut down and decimated and it's dead. And yet we're praying that there will be a sprig that will come up from David's line that will come and become a king. And he will be filled with the spirit and he will lead us again. And other prophets began to prophesy about this, this coming king, this one day king. One said that he would come from the area of, of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is in the north, in the, sea of, in the area of the Sea of Galilee. Other said that he would be a Nazarene. 
Another prophet, uh, Micah, said he would be born in Bethlehem, and yet his origins would be from ancient times. Others said that he would be born from a virgin, and he would come from the tribe of Judah, and his name, uh, he would be called this title, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah said, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government, listen, will be on his shoulders and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Listen, the dominion uh, will, will be vast and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness now, from now and forever. You you see the longing? Do you hear the longing for the people? Oh, one day there's going to come a king. One day he's going to come from David's line. One day he's going to be born of a virgin. He's come from Bethlehem. He'll be raised in Nazareth. One day this king will come. When will he come? This righteous king, this eternal king. And then it happened. He came. He came. And his name is Jesus. And when Jesus came, when he was born in Bethlehem, when he came from Nazareth, when he, when he came out of Egypt, when he, when he fulfilled those prophecies, when Jesus came to be king, listen, he did not come like Rehoboam. Rehoboam came exerting his power, demanding that others serve him. That's not how Jesus came. Jesus came humbly. Jesus came as a servant. In fact, let me read you what it says about how he came in Philippians 2. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or something to be grasped or held on to. But instead, he humbled himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. King Jesus is better than Rehoboam. He humbled himself and came in the form of human likeness. He humbled himself and came as a servant, even to the point of giving his own life on a cross. And when he died on the cross, he died not for his own sin, for his own failures, for his own Mistakes, he died for your sin and mine, your failures and mine, your mistakes and mine. He took on our shame. He was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again. (laughs) He rose again. And not only did he rise again, but he is now exalted to the highest place at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is 
our king. He is the ultimate king. He is a, he is a foreshadowed king. He is the coming king. That's King Jesus.
just to be seated for a moment. See, King Jesus is better than Rehoboam because he understood that honor follows humility. His ascension followed his crucifixion. His exaltation to the Father followed his obedience to the Father. He understood that, that honor follows humility. Now listen, to understand, to embrace Jesus doesn't just mean that I embrace what Jesus did, but it also means to follow Jesus, means to embrace how he lived. And if King Jesus is your king, that in what he wants from us is humility and to trust him that he will exalt those that are humbled that when we humble ourselves that he will lift us up that when we take a step back that he will always make things right see our problem is that there's a real bone lurking inside of all of us that we want our way and when we refuse to say I was wrong, when we refuse to say I'm sorry, when we refuse to make amends, when we, when we stubbornly say they'll have to do it and that's not my fault and it's not my job and I make excuses. When I do all of that, I'm living like Rehoboam and everything falls apart. But when I'm quick to confess and quick to understand what I've done wrong, and quick to say I'm sorry and quick to humble myself trusting God that brings unity that brings health so let me ask you something where in your life are you playing the Rehoboam resisting demanding expecting others to serve you unwilling to come clean with things that you have done that have hurt others. To follow King Jesus means to follow in his steps, to walk as he walked, to live as he lived. And that means to humble yourself. See, honor follows humility. But not only that, peace follows humility, unity follows humility, reconciliation follows humility, joy follows humility. And really, you can only do that when you have the spirit of Jesus inside of you. Because our own self-will is so strong, only the power of Jesus can conquer it. So maybe this pathway of humility starts now with you humbling yourself before God. Humbling yourself to say, you know what? I, God, I've sinned against you. God, I'm, I'm wrong. God, I need to change. God, I, I can't keep going the way that I'm going. I need you to forgive me and to change me and to empower me to live differently. That's where it all starts. Jesus was buried. He rose again and he offers new life to all who will humble themselves and call on him.